Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we've been in a series called Everyday Wisdom. I don't know about you, but it's been a fun series for me. Didn't Jeremy do a great job last week talking about the power of our words? That was a really great message last week. And I hope you had a great weekend last week, uh, celebrating, uh, celebrating the weekend, the long weekend, and remembering the cost of freedom for us. It's so wonderful. We had so many people volunteering and riding in the ride to recovery, and I'm so grateful for any opportunity we can do to highlight and honor the cost people have paid for us. And it was graduation weekend. And uh, I don't know about you, but for us, our youngest graduated, and I'm still not sure what to think about that and feel about that. It's It's been kind of a interesting few weeks. So today we're doing part two in our, in our larger series on just how Proverbs speaks about the will of God, about making great decisions and about knowing and walking in the will of God. As you may remember from our series so far, wisdom is defined as the courage to face reality and respond with growing competence. And wisdom always starts with reality. You have to know where you are, what your limitations are, what your circumstances, your weaknesses, your faults, your barriers, your your sin is before you can even know how to respond. We have to deal with reality, not just where we want to be. We discussed in part one of this uh, this small portion of this series that knowing and walking in the will of God is really more about who before do. It's really about who you are, your character, and about the why before the what. It's about your motives because motives really matter to God. Why we do it matters to God. You can look wise in what in, in something you do, but if your motives are wrong, it's actually very foolish for you to do it. Today we're going to expand on how to know and walk in the will of God by wrestling with two images. One that we hear and use and talk about frequently, and the other one is from Proverbs. The first image that we often talk about, I think, leads to stress and pressure in our life. The other image that I think we're going to talk about from Proverbs today can actually be really freeing and really helpful for us. So first, we we frequently use the image of the door when we face a major decision in life, often thinking about the will of God like a door. And I, and I don't know about you, but as a kid growing up in Minnesota, uh, remember we only had three TV channels, I loved the Price is Right show. Anybody else love that show growing up or, or still today? Uh, I used to imagine myself on the show going for the big prize. And you remember the door one, door two, or door three choice, right? For the contestants and for me, there was always this pressure in that. Am I going to pick the door with the boring patio furniture and the grill and all the stuff I don't want, Right? All the stuff that I'm going to just turn around and sell for pennies on the dollars. And so then this may give you a picture into my psyche and and who I am. But then I used to think, well, I can't sell it for much, so I'm going to probably end up paying more in taxes than I actually get in money from the prize. Uh, I don't know how many teens think about taxes, but I, I did. And maybe I should have been a tax lawyer, I don't know. So the net result from the wrong door is you get a prize and you end up paying for it. What a gift, right? Or 
was I going to pick the door with the really awesome stuff, like the new car with the brand new speedboat and the jet skis. That's what I always wanted. Such pressure we often treat our especially big decisions with, the kind of pre- that kind of pressure and more we treat the decisions in our life with. Am I going to screw up my life and, and make a bad decision so that undermine, I undermine God's will for myself and I, go ar- I have to go around the mountain again and again and again, right? If you grew up in church, you probably remember all the messages that were spoken about God's will that if you didn't get it right, you were destined to just go around the mountain again and again to come back to the same old problem and until you faced it the right way and passed the test. Anybody else hear those messages growing up? While there can be some truth in that, the pressure to make the right decision becomes enormous, doesn't it? Is this job going to be good for my career and my family? Or is it going to sacrifice one or both on the altar of a bad decision? Or will I end up with nothing or worse, like my price is right nightmare? Am I going to pay more in taxes than I get for what I make in a decision? Should I pick door one, door two, or door three? God, what do you want me to pick? Some of you, maybe many of you, are in a place where you are trying to make a decision. It might be a career decision or a relationship decision or a what's going to be best for my child kind of a decision. God, what do you want? Which door, God? Let's, before we look at this more, let's turn to Proverbs 4 and let's just read a, a longer text there. It says this, listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I'll instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths, clear paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you'll not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Okay, so Proverbs, like many of Jesus' parables, often draw on a primary metaphor to help us think through the meaning of what is being said. Allow me to point out the major metaphor in this in image here and then practically develop what that idea means for us in regard to the will of God. And here it is. What if the will of God is much more like a path than a door. 
This path metaphor can be very freeing and pressure relieving, but the idea of the will of God as a door, it's at best an inadequate metaphor for most of life and how we discover and walk in God's will. In the Bible, the will of God is really more of a path we walk than a specific door one, door two, or door three decision we make. Now, you, you might ask, Aren't there places in the Bible where God specifically says, choose this door, do this specifically? Well, yes, there are. But one of the advantages of reading the Bible cover to cover, especially in a chronological Bible, is that it begins to paint the picture that those door one, door two, and door three types of decisions regarding the will of God are the exceptions, not the norm. Let's look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to illustrate this. In 1 Corinthians 16, we see Paul talking about his plans, the understanding of what the Lord's will for him is. Should he stay where he is? Should he go elsewhere? What should he do? And specifically, as we pick up the text, he's addressing whether the will of God is to go with the Corinthians when he visits them to Jerusalem to deliver the gift they've gathered to help the followers of Jesus there survive famine and persecution. Listen to how Paul talks. He says... If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me, meaning the Corinthians, to Jerusalem. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and and make only a passing visit. I, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. So so Paul, the apostle, who came to faith in a vision of Jesus himself, who was transported into heaven in a vision, who saw many miracles, who wrote most of the New Testament, this spiritual giant talks about the will of God in his life so confidently. No. Did you hear what he said? Did you catch what he said? He says, basically, we'll see when I get there. Maybe I will stay for a while. Maybe I won't. Here's what I want. I want to stay with you for a while, but maybe the Lord will permit that, and maybe he won't. I don't know. I know that where I am right now, I have this huge opportunity, so at the very least, I'll be here for a while. I'm on this path. I know what's right before me. I have my plans that I think might be God but we'll see. I'm just walking the path and God is taking care of what happens and when it happens. But we like answers to our questions of what's next. Where are we going? For so many questions, so much uncertainty, how do we, how do we plan? How do we set goals in life? Well, Paul is making plans, but he's holding them with an open hand. It's It's not just Paul. Listen to the apostles' conclusion on a really important matter regarding faith in Acts 15. Uh, One of the most important decisions made in all of church history. And here's what they say. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good. Such a definitive statement. It seemed, can you imagine your kid coming to you and saying, well, it seemed a good idea at the time. You know, that's usually bad news, right? And yet about the will of God, the apostles are saying, we think this is probably the best thing to do. Really? 
The fact of the matter is their decision in Acts 15 propelled the expansions of the church with a greater understanding of love and grace in such a profound way. It was the right decision. It was clearly the will of God. But in the moment, all they could say was, it seemed good. We're walking this path, and this just seems like the right next step, so so we're going to take it. For some of you, maybe that feels like more pressure because you want something more definitive. But when you understand the love of God, the concept of the will of God as a path more than a door is so liberating, freeing, pressure-relieving for all of us. So, What specifically can we learn from this? Let's look at three observations about this today. And my first observation at first is going to seem a bit like a sidetrack, but hang on, it connects directly to this liberating, pressure-relieving aspect of the path metaphor. The first observation is this. We are often told that we discover what's God's will by being led by his peace. That's how we know something is God's will, by how we feel a sense of peace about it. But here's what I want you to consider. While peace is a way God can and does lead us, it is also something we need to cautiously distrust. I've heard some fantastic messages over the years about how God's peace leads us to his will and confirms his will, and that is so true. I've experienced it. There are times in my life when I've faced big, scary decisions and sensed an uncommon peace that was truly from God and his peace leading me. We often refer to that sense of peace uh, using the term impression. We, we have this impression. Our gut is telling, this, telling us this is good and right and this is God. But there's a problem with peace as a primary way of God leading us to discover his will. Uh, think of me a moment. Can you imagine Jonah in the Old Testament, Old Testament prophet going to the Mediterranean star cruise ticket window and thinking, God, I don't have peace about going to the Assyrian uh, Damascus in Assyria, so is there any room available on the ship to Tarshish? And when he finds out there is room on the ship to Tarshish, I'm sure he felt relieved and peaceful. It's likely that Eve felt pretty good in the garden, maybe even peaceful about eating the apple in the garden. After all, it tasted really good. And how can something so good be wrong? Now, that's one of those sorely unwise, inadequate questions we often ask. We feel good and feel peaceful about a lot of things that seem preferable and good to us, but they may not and often aren't God's will. We could go on with example after example from the Bible, but but what about you? What about you? Frankly, I feel pretty good and peaceful when I think about the idea of winning the Powerball. But that doesn't mean buying a lottery ticket is wise or God's will. Your gut feeling does not equal God. But often our gut feeling of peace becomes for us God said this. God's will is this. God's leading me to do this. But I've known people who have talked themselves into extramarital affairs because it felt peaceful and good. It's not God's will, but they thought it was. Here's how this idea of peace and gut impression ties in. When we treat our impressions as a window of sight into the door of God's will, door one, two, or three, our gut impression becomes a black and white choice, doesn't it? We must do this 
or do that. Instead, what the great spiritual giant Paul teaches us is to hold our impressions, our peace, our desires, our wants open-handedly with a sense of tentativeness. They're possibly clues that, if true, will become evident as we continue to walk the path we're on. They're still valuable. We hold them. We even may make plans to do them. But we know that the will of God is like a path. And therefore, we walk down the path and things, we just, they'll become more, more and more clear. And it, and it may not turn out exactly like we want and it happened in the time frame we want, right? The second ap- application we can take away from this idea, observation of the will of God as a path more than door. When you aren't certain of what to do, stay the course of the path God already has you on. See, what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that it is God's will to reach our entire world with the good news of his love and forgiveness. Every single person, and God plans one day to heal and restore us all and all of creation to his originally good intended plan for each and every one of us and all of creation. And as you read the Bible and look at that, you'll note that most of the really great achievements recorded in the Bible did not begin with God telling someone to do something. They didn't begin with a choose this door over that door kind of a decision. Instead, they began with people realizing they were already on the right path. God already had them there and was presenting them with an opportunity that he had designed for them. Think about Esther for a minute in the Old Testament. Esther finds herself a Jew in exile in Babylon, gaining favor. Why? Simply because God created her as, hot, as a hottie and also with grace and wisdom. I mean, let's just be honest. So she finds herself married to the king of Babylon, one of the favored wives. And when a plot emerges to kill the Jews by the king's most trusted advisor, we don't read of Esther laboring over the divine direction of door one, two, or three from the Lord. She simply realizes that God, the God in whom she trusts, has already put her on the path where she can make a difference. And this is where peace doesn't always lead us to the will of God. Esther's thoughts about this are, If I perish, I perish, is what she says. There wasn't anything peaceful about that moment or that place or that path God had her on. There was real justifiable fear. But she was in the center of God's will. We see this in Joseph's life as well. His brothers jealously beat him and sell him into slavery. He gains favor with his master only to be falsely accused and sent to jail again. And in jail, he continues to assume he's still on God's path and God is the one who makes his path straight. Even if humans altered his trail, God still has the path for him. So he just serves with passion and focus even while in jail. In Joseph's case, he didn't even have the privilege of choice of choosing the door one, two, or three when he was a slave until God's path took him to be second in command of all of Egypt with the power of Pharaoh himself. And then later, when he's faced with his brothers and he has the choice of door one, justice, door two, revenge, or door three, mercy and forgiveness, because Joseph saw God's will as a path and God as the designer and the protector of his path, Joseph recognized and said to him, you guys meant this for harm, 
but God had me on this path, and God has placed me here for such a time as this. Where has God placed you? Even if you're sensing a transition or a decision, stay the course on the path you're on until God leads you to confidence in the next step. It might very well be anything but peace-filled during that time, but part of God's plan for you and me as his followers is to reach everyone put in our path with his love and with his care. God directs our paths. God makes our paths straight and our footing sure, even in difficult situations. Which leads us to what I think might be the most profound lesson of discovering God's will from understanding his will more of as a path than a door. Allow me to borrow a quote from Andy Stanley to make this point. And it's this. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. So how many of you are going on vacation this summer? Getting out of town, going somewhere. Yeah? So our plan is to take a vacation to Colorado. Haven't been there in a long time. My brother and his family live there. And Wendy and I honeymoon at Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park many moons ago. And our youngest son has been complaining that we moved to Ohio away from the mountains before he was old enough to really enjoy and remember great mountain hikes. So our intention is to fulfill his wish and, frankly, remove the complaint because I'm tired of hearing it. (laughs) So we are already planning. We have some reservations made. We're planning what to pack. But if we get on I-70 going east, we're never going to get there. Direction on the path determines destination. So if you intend to marry a great Christian spouse and raise your kids in the Christian faith, but right now you are dating a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, direction, not intention, determines your destination. Or maybe you're the woman who looks around and you see the really older, adorable woman who's so kind and gracious, whose husband just loves to hold her hand still, and, but you're demanding now and you're focusing all your attention now on your kids. See, direction, not intention, determines your destination. I've never talked to anyone who does not have the intention and the desire to be generous with their money and retire comfortably. But we all too often continue to pursue nicer clothes and nicer cars and nicer houses and nicer vacations instead of living debt-free or with the margin and within our budget to give and save. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. For you, maybe uh, the direction you need to take is to take Financial Peace University as the class when it begins again uh, in the near future and begin a new direction for your life, your wealth, and your generosity. Men, Let me talk to you for a minute. Many of you want to be a really good dad who models godly character, values, and faith to your kids. Can I just say something I've observed over the years, a a very small piece of the pie, but I think an important one. Mother's Day is almost always one of the highest attendance days of the year at church. And Father's Day is almost always one of the lowest attendance days of the year at church. Guys, If you want to be honored as a dad for your godly character, your values, and your faith, if that's what you want your kids to honor and be like you or even better than you when they grow up, but when that special day comes along, why is it that you choose to not go to church? What message is that sending your kids, and especially your boys? 
about the importance of faith in your life and in their life. What it says is that fishing or boating or golfing or whatever you're doing is really more important than faith. And faith is really a woman's thing. Now, hear me clearly. I am not against having a time off on a weekend or to be away or to not attend church from time to time. Personally, I often don't attend church when I'm on vacation. So that's not the issue. But what does it say when you use the day designed to have your kids honor who you are and you choose to value golf or boating or fishing or sleeping in more than your faith? Direction, not intention determines your destination. Is it wrong? Maybe not. Is it wise? No. Here's my challenge to all of you guys. How about all of you show up to church on Father's Day and you invite your dad, and if your kids are gone from home, you invite your kids to all join you as a way of helping celebrate who you are and what you value in life. And if you need a weekend away for fishing or golfing or something that'll take you away from church, do that on a different weekend. But attach honoring you to honoring your faith by your actions on Father's Day. See, our actions really do speak louder than words. We can have the best of intentions, but our actions, our direction really determines our destination. And maybe, just maybe, your direction, not just your intention on Father's Day and honoring your faith as a part of that will influence your dad or your kids to become followers of Jesus or become more faithful followers of Jesus because you directly attach honoring of you to your faith on that day. So when you learn to trust God and, and you know you're on the, and that he has you on the right path or will get you on the right path, you tend to worry less about the actual doors and the actual choices. You focus more on faithfully just taking the next step. Wisdom, and when we do that, brings us fullness of life and quality of life. Do you remember the verses in there? Listen, my son, accept what I say, that the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight, clear, stable, good paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you'll not stumble. The path, that sounds great, doesn't it? The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep, dark, deep darkness, and they do not know what makes them stumble. There's powerful hope and imagery in that text. Now, let's, let's go back for a quick second to our definition of wisdom. Wisdom is defined as the courage to face reality and respond with growing competence. Now, here's a reality we need to face when reading the book of Proverbs that will help us understand it better and not misinterpret it. There are lots of promises in the Bible, promises that God says that are absolute promises that we can just take to the bank and we can count on God doing. Proverbs is not a book of promises. It is a book of probabilities. Now, sometimes we read Proverbs as promise, and it says things like your life will be long, and so then someone dies too young, and we feel like God didn't fulfill his promise. But wisdom is about probabilities, not promise. Kind of like if you eat healthy and exercise regularly, you probably are not going to develop type 2 diabetes or heart disease later in your life, and you'll live a healthier, better life. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. 
but it's a higher probability. See, because Proverbs is also very real about the effects of sin, a sinful culture, the sin of others, the difficulties of living in a broken world. Difficult stuff still happens. But if you live the way Proverbs describes, it will lead you to being able to run and not stumble, being able to live in a life with more light and brightness and goodness more often than if you didn't. If you learn to trust God and seek his will, like we talked about in part one two weeks ago, wisdom and God's will is more about who you are, your character, than what you do. Wisdom and God's will is more about why living with the right motives for the right reason than the specifics of what you do. And today's lesson, wisdom and the will of God is more about being on the right path, walking in the right direction, just taking the next step in front of you than the specific doors of decision. Because as we said two weeks ago, if you are becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. And if you're driven by the right why, God will lead you to the right what in your life. It's all about staying on the path God has you on, going in the right direction. Now, one of the greatest joys of the past couple of years was being able to walk through some major life decisions with a family in our church. Um, in their career choices and, and leadership prior years ago, they, they had always been driven by doing whatever it took to, to get the bottom line of success that they needed to do for them to get promoted to the next level. But, but over the few years, they learned that who they were was more important. So they learned to treat their employees and coworkers uh, in a new kind of concern and empowerment, not just for what they could do for the company, but for who they were. And they learned that the why for God giving them success was so that they could be around the people they were around so that they could influence them and care for them as Jesus would. And these lessons of wisdom and God's will began to sink in and it caused them to stop worrying about the particular doors being presented to them or, or the ones not being presented to them. And they just walked each day with a focus on being the right person for the right reason that day. And headhunters came and went. Opportunities came and went. And some things went well at their work and some things were really difficult at their work. But in the end, God led them to their dream job. And frankly, it wasn't the dream job they dreamed about a couple years ago. But by focusing on who they were and their character and learning to make even their work about God's why in their life, not just about money and recognition. Their direction determined their destination, and they are exceedingly happy with where God has taken them now. Greater joy, greater money, greater impact, less stress, a stronger marriage and family life. See, if you feel like you keep stumbling, or life keeps stumbling around you, you keep waiting for the next shoe to drop, the next difficult thing to happen, feeling pressure to make the right decision, God wants to change that for you. It's not that nothing difficult or bad is going to happen to you, but it's that God wants you to walk confident with sureness into an increasing confident place and an increasingly sunny place in your life. I was talking with someone this past week about major life decisions we're both facing in the next 10 years. And as we talked, I began to reflect on my life in past years in Minnesota and Tulsa and Oregon when I was in some difficult, frustrating places back then. And in all those circumstances, even after God, I felt like God was speaking to me about a good change that was going to come, 
It was still years of faithfully walking that path before God led me to the right door and made the right door apparent. And and quite frankly, when that door presented itself, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Because as you walk the path being the right person, the right who, and you're living from the right why, and you're walking in the right direction on the path, so many of the big decisions just become the next obvious step on the path. For you, some of you, maybe your response today is, is you've, never, you've never given leadership of your life and, and, and leadership of what path you're on to Jesus. And that decision for you today is just to say, yes, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust God with my path. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that his wisdom will bring me to a brighter, sunnier, more confident place. It's not going to be a perfect place. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be difficulty along the way, but it's going to be better. And I'm going to make that choice. Because if you make that choice, it says if you follow God, if you, if you will follow the way of wisdom, more and more and more of your life will become more confident and more sunny along the way. I think a way for all of us to respond today to this message might be this, that we sometimes get so stressed over the next step or over the next decision that needs to be made that, that, that we forget the promise, the, the, the probability of God's promise that he gives to us. It says, when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. And the, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day. God wants you to see that, wants you to trust that, and he's going to take you through the right doors. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we love you and we're so grateful for the way you pursue us, for the way you love us, for the way you tell us that if we walk in the way of wisdom, it's not going to be perfect because there's evil around us and we'll make mistakes and other people will make mistakes and things will hurt. But but if we walk in the way of wisdom, there'll be sureness. There's going to be a clear path. You're going to take us to the right doors and through the right doors. and, And Lord, we can give that stress to you because of your promise to lead us in a path that's straight, to make our steps sure. I pray specifically for those here who have not trusted you with their life. I pray that your spirit would come to them right now and you'd speak to them, that you'd invite them as you are always doing with a kindness and a love no matter what's gone on, no matter how messed up their life has been, no matter the decisions made in the past or the present, Lord, you are loving them, you are coming to them. And I pray that your spirit would come right now and make them know that sense and your invitation. And Lord, as we continue to worship through communion, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you show us how how desperately you want that for us by sending Jesus, by coming yourself as Jesus to be near us, to show us a way to live and to and to take upon yourself the punishment for our sins and to offer us forgiveness. And Lord, if you did that, we can trust you with any decision. So Lord, as we celebrate communion, as we continue to worship, 
Would your spirit just come and affirm your great love for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.